Liz, you're always so um, willing to help us out um, in, in any way that we ask you to, and I really, really appreciate that. So oh, thank you. We're doing this in honor of the National Disability Employment Awareness Month and your journey from going to a from a shelter workshop um, to a competitive integrated employment position. And, you know, not a lot of people have done that. So you're a great example that um, can hopefully be used to help others. But let's go ahead and start at the beginning. Um, okay. When you came out of high school, um, what was the start of your employment journey at that point? Okay. I graduated from um, a boarding school for people with intellectual disability. Um, it was actually the best school of my life. And you might be saying, why? Because it was not an inclusive environment, um, the kind of environment that I fight for every day. Right. Um, but it was a school that I felt like it wasn't bullied and I could have friends, and I could have, my friends gave me the respect that I, I deserve. Um, so with, so after I graduated, um, they, the school, the headmaster talked to the parents about what was the next steps, um, and they recommended to my parents, uh, that I should go into a private institution. Was that a surprise to you, given that you had a positive experience at the school and had really enjoyed that? Were you expecting the next step to be uh, potentially a private institution? No. And I was very upset because I was, and I have thought more about this uh, since I graduated. Um, when I graduated, I probably didn't think anything of it. I was just told to go there and I went there. But since I became an advocate, I have thought a lot about it. Um, I, I was very upset I, because, um, because my friends from that school who I went to school, um, some of my friends were in my classes. Some of them were I lived with. Um, they all went to college. They went to a um, like a college program for people with disability. But right. you know, I went to to this private institution, and my parents didn't think anything uh, about till I got there. And um, it was actually kind of interesting because I stayed after the second day I called home. I remember calling home and saying to my, and crying and saying to my parents, I don't like this. And they said, well, we're working on something. And speed up, I, after about a year, maybe two years, um, my parents begged me to, um, to go home 
and I actually live where I'm living now and what I'm um, getting the support that I need um, from the agency that I'm, I'm getting right now. Um, Fantastic. So you pretty much spent about two years, it sounds like, in the institution. And no, um, nine years. Nine years. Oh, nine years. Okay, nine years in the institution. And if you wait a minute, I'll tell you why. Okay, sure. Um, I stayed there because um, even though my parents told beg me to come home, I really believe that if I um if I um listen to my parents, I would never be who I am today. I would never have been able to speak up for myself. I would never have been able to make my own decisions because I would just do whatever mom and dad wanted me to do. They told me to go to the institution I went. Um if if they told me to go home, I if I if I li listened to them, I would never have learned how to to stand up for myself. That's a great lesson for all of us to hear. So you basically it sounds like came to the decision on your own outside of what your parents were suggesting that you needed to get in a different situation. Is that correct? Yeah. So when did the show, I believe you have spent some time in a sheltered workshop. Was that while you were in the institution or did that happen after you came? No, when I was living in the institution, I worked in two, two places. I worked in a place where I did kind of workshops. I mean, work sheets, like uh, math sheets that you right. would get when you were a kid, um, and I would um, do office type of work, and I would, it just was a horrible experience. And was, then- Was that in like a warehouse situation, or were you in an office? Do you remember anything about the environment that you were um, in when office. you were doing that? Okay, it was in an office, okay. And then I, I worked, then I, quote, graduated from that program, mm -hmm. and um, I, I, but I was still in the same institution, and I worked in like a shopper's guide where you had um, papers that you stuff for uh, supermarkets that you get at the supermarket, Right, like the coupons or the flyers, that type of thing? Yes. And um, there was a table, probably a, more of a typical uh, workshop that we know of, where um, there was probably seven or eight people um, from the institution and two people, two staff people. It was just an awful experience because it was a, in a warehouse, like um, I rem like Costco or those kinds of uh, stores that you the Sam Sam's 
uh, warehouse uh, for buying things. And it was not a job that you particularly enjoyed doing, it sounds like. No, no. So tell me what happened next after that um, in terms of your employment journey. Well, I got out of the, the um, institution. The way I got out of the in uh, the workshop and got into a real job because I worked um, in a library for um, the rest of the time that I was in the institution. I had a, a, a library job outside the institution uh, that I just adored. I j just it was probably one of the best jobs beside my job uh, today uh, that I had. Um, and did the people that were working with you at the institution, did they help you get that library yes. job? Yes. Okay. Great. And, um, but the way I got out of the institution was I faked seizures. Wow. I faked seizures. And I would rock and rock. I rock and rock and rock and and I um and I would run away when I got upset. I would I studied people when they had seizures and I could notice how they were treating they had seizures and I don't mean uh -huh. to make fun of people because I know seizures are really serious things um, but um, but that's the only way I knew that I could have people stop and listen to me yeah wow did that then lead to a change um, where you were able to be in a different circumstance yeah um, I still was living in the institution um, because my parents didn't think anything of that I should move. And so I went to a conference one day and um, a national conference and um, two of my best friends so happened uh, they were talking to some people from Massachusetts. Because Massachusetts was at that time just starting um, to work on self advocacy, and they um, they wanted to um, to hire someone to help them with self advocacy. Two of my friends, so they. Two people from from Massachusetts uh, saw me at this conference and offered me a job. My main job was to work on um, quality assurance. Fantastic. They had, they had a, um, a, um, a survey that they they give to people that live. Um, um, to providers to interview people, and then I did some trains. Um, and one of the 
interesting part of that story is, and I learned this very, a very important lesson, is um, I kept on saying to people in my interview, before I got the job, I want to be treated just like everyone else. The only issue in the training department was at the institution. I said to my friend, um, I said, why am I in the institution? Why am I in the institution? I don't want to be in the institution. I was in the institution. I got out of the institution. And she said, you want to be treated just like everyone else? So you're going to be treated the, like everyone else, and that's where the training department was. I wanted to do more traveling and more seeing the world. Um, so I, and I also wanted to live closer to mom and dad. I left that job. I went back to the conference where I found, found my job in Massachusetts. Right. And um, uh, somebody recommended a job called the Counseling Quality and Leadership. And I stayed there for 16 years where I did survey work and I also did some training work and it was just a great job. Great. And so that sounds like that built directly on what you had already been doing with the survey work and the quality assurance. Where was this job located that you got, um, that you stayed at for 16 years? Um, the headquarters was in Baltimore, but okay. um, people got, people were all over the country. They wanted me to, to move from Massachusetts uh, to Baltimore, and as I said, um, um, I wanted to live closer to mom and dad, but um, but once I met my um, my at that time my boyfriend, now my husband, and he was living, he, he was living um, in the Rockford area where we live today right. and I um so I, I beg and beg and beg my supervisor if I could work from home just like everyone else and I would travel when I needed to and um they agreed to it and then um I got bored about doing that so that's well, well, 16 years is a long time. <laughs> yeah. So, so you didn't get bored too quickly, but then you just got to a point where you were ready to move on to the next yeah. step. And then um, I found my job at AUCD. That is great. So tell us a little bit about how you found your job at AUCD. AUCD was doing a uh, project. Um, the South Advocacy Summit and um and AUCD knew that they could not um it was actually a um a project that ACL was doing uh, um one of the nuts and 
um, UCD knew that they could not do that work without a self-advocate. So they hired me. That is fantastic. And so what were your job responsibilities um, when they hired you? Um, what, what did you have to do each day? I was doing part-time work. So I was working for CQO and UCD. But um, what I was doing was I helped them set up uh, webinars. I went to all the summits. After all the summits were over, I um, I wrote the reports. Um, I helped them write a plain language report. After that was all done, I had a vision of doing a uh, a video show. Well, and let's talk a little bit about Tuesdays with Liz. Tuesdays with Liz has been around for four years. It's a YouTube show uh, where I make um, policy in um, in accessible and fun ways for people to understand. And my idea was has always been, and it began with my idea, maybe it was a selfish idea, but I think all, everything begins with you in, in some ways. Um, when I was little, I, I sat at the table and I never, the, ta the dining room table with all my um, family, and I never understood what a policy was. I never understood what, what um, home community-based services was. I never understood what this was. I never understood what that was. So I wanted to make sure, and when I had the opportunity right after the summit to, to develop a YouTube show that, that people could could go could understand what a policy was, so right. they could go up to the hill, whether it was here in um, in um, Annapolis, Maryland, or in D.C. Um, to talk about. Okay, I know what the ABLE Act is. I know what um, trans formative competitive employment act is and i know yeah so it sounds like your goal and it sounds like your goal is still today that you want to make policy accessible and understandable to everybody so that it's clear what policies exist today and what type of advocacy needs to be done is is that what your goal is yes fantastic and we we have either done that with our newsletter called the Disability Policy News. Um, there's a piece of it that I I edit every week um, for plain language, and some of the words can't be changed because it's part of the law, right? Part of um. Uh, words are the way it is, but some, since that's why we have a um, plain language that we can talk about it. 
And can you kind of say um, why plain language is so important for people who may not know about plain language or um, why we strive to, to make things in plain language? Why is that important to you and to others? I, great question, thank you. Um, I think plain language is important because it helps people bond to the conversation. It's help um, people to understand that they can contribute. And if there's no plain language, and there's so many times that I've gone to a meeting and people talk in big words, I, I don't mean uh, 17 letters, I mean big words that I don't understand. Right. And sometimes there are 17 letters, but sometimes <laughs> they're just just big words. And, um, and if I can't understand it, I feel, I feel like I want to cry because I'm not part of the conversation. And I can't be part of the conversation. And I want to be part of the conversation. That's a very important point. And if people want to find um, Tuesdays with Liz, um, can they search on YouTube or how, do, how would they find your show? You can go to AUCD.org or you okay. can uh, Google on Tuesdays with Liz. Fantastic. And do you actually have input into the people that you're going to interview? Do you have to come up with the questions? Yes. Um, yes. How we do it is that there's a team of us, um, the director of public policy are um, the producer and myself um, and that's why we need to wait for the producer but um, as I said we're still um, doing um, past episodes um, mostly on voting because voting is important these days absolutely um, we come up with who we think would be good people to interview, whether it's a topic that is in the news, whether it's a topic that AUCD is working on, or whether it's just a topic that I think that people might be interested in. That sounds fantastic. And is that sort of the main part of your job now at AUCD, as well as helping to make sure the documents are in plain language, like we talked about? Are the, are, is that in the podcast um, your two main responsibilities at this point? Yes. And I should say the questions are all probably 90% my ideas right um because um it's what i'm interested in and sometimes my my supervisor the the director of public policy rylan rogers will um will suggest things great great um do you have any particular um 
accommodations for your disability um, when you're working at AUCD? Do they set things up in a different way? Or is there anything that makes it easier for you to be able to do your job well that you can share? Um, well, I think the, um, we have tried like a voice and recognition for um, me to learn how to type faster. Uh-huh. Um, because I type, um, I know that my, my mother would be rolling in her grave, but <laughs> I still type, I still type like a hand pack type is. Right. Um, it's just hard for me to use two hands. Right. Um, it's really important that I feel very supported in my job. And I'll give you an example. Um, sure. And this is so wonderful. Um, AUCD has changed uh, emails, servers, and I don't understand what what it's called. But um, anyway, um, and I got frustrated. I didn't know how how to work things. Right. I didn't know um, what it looked like, and I got scared. And um, the uh, web person at work um, walked me through it, and it was just wonderful. And now I'm happy, and I can do things myself. And yes, it's nice to know that I have a backup with Phil, my husband. And the other thing that seems to run through your story, as you have recounted it to us today, is that you've had good communication with your supervisors. Even people above your supervisor, if if there's a problem with your supervisor, and this has never happened to me, um, but if I ever had a problem with my supervisor, People have have often people have said to all of us, you know, you can talk to your to the idea of AUCD because I could have a problem with my supervisor. I think it's also important that that I don't um People with disabilities need to be accountable for for their job and what they they say and they do. And if we mess up, okay, we mess up, but we can't say, "Oh yeah, you're a person with a disability." We'll overlook that. That is a no. very important point. No. Very important. Treat me just like everyone else like like me going into the institution did i like going into the institution no but that's where the training department was and that's that's how being treated just like everyone else and then the other thing i'll say is about giving me real work to do and not busy work I'm 
doing out ASCDI. I'm doing real work on contributing. I think I basically said it, but I'll say it. Two words. Nothing about us without us. And that means if there's something involving me or my friends, I should be at that table. Not me personally. Well, maybe me personally. <laughs> That'd be fine but, too. <laughs> yeah. But other people, and then all means all, we all need to be included. That is perfect way to end this conversation. I really enjoyed spending the time with you today, Liz, and I'm so glad that we're able to share your story as widely as possible. Okay, thank you. Be safe and happy, happy employment month. Goodbye. Thank you for celebrating National Disability Employment Awareness Month with us. We hope you continue tuning in all month as we talk more about the importance of employment and the dignity of work.